So today we're looking at, again, we're going through First uh, Peter. And this is his, uh, Peter's guidebook, or travel guide for exiles. And again, as we're doing this, we're going to be doing the Scripture reading a little bit differently because we'll be going through the Scripture piece by piece, so we're not going to read it all at once. I've got the verse notations uh, in there, verse numbers, so you can follow along. Uh, but before we begin this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, Lord, as the giver of all good gifts, we come to you, Lord, with hearts open and minds open to you. We pray, Lord, today that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And through that Holy Spirit, you would give us your wisdom, your knowledge, your instruction, Lord. And, and also, after teaching us, give us the courage as we go from this place to follow your will. The courage to go out and be the holy people that you have called us to be. Father, pray that you would bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I remember having a fairly frequent fight with my parents, or actually maybe it was just the same fight over and over just with a lot of different incarnations. And, and if you think back to your childhood, you probably had a similar type of fight. There were things that other people got to do that I wasn't allowed to. I always thought that uh, my family was just super ultra strict and they really limited all the things that I could do. They, they didn't, I didn't get, get, wear all the clothes. Some of my friends, especially when they were wearing those, those uh, heavy metal t-shirts, my parents said they were vulgar. They wouldn't let me out the house wearing them like that. Some of the music I'd want to bring home, go, oh, we can't, no, no, we don't do that. We don't listen to this music in this house. And, and of course, the hair. I couldn't have the hair. And this was a constant battle. Like, I remember in, in elementary school wanting the rat tail. You remember the rat tail? And my mom was just so just disgusted by the, no, no, you are not wearing the rat tail. And of course, later it was the long hair. And and it wasn't just me, my brother and sister were the same way. We'd always just, we didn't feel like we got to do as much as other families got to do. And we would say this, say, Mom, why don't we get to do the things these other families get to do? And her answer to me was always the same. She said, Rob, we're not other families. That was all the explanation I got. We're not other families. We don't do these things. You're a sealy. And she made it very clear, very early on, and reminded me very often there were certain expectations that came with being a member of the Sealy family and carrying the Sealy name. And when I went out in public, I was expected to conduct myself in a certain way. That was, if I wasn't going to bring honor to the name, at least not shame. And at some point, that's is like, look, just don't embarrass us, okay? Now, this might sound familiar to you. And I hope it does. I hope you were raised with some family expectations of your own because not only is it good for children to be raised with certain expectations, it will also be easier for you to understand what I'm going to talk to you about today. And that is the expectations that are going to be upon you as members of God's family. That you are a part of His family. And along with that, along with carrying that name of being His people and being a part of His family, there are certain clear expectations that are going to be placed upon you as members of God's family. 
Now, as far as being part of this family, this is a family that is open to everybody. And when I see everybody, I mean everybody. Anybody can join this family. I mean, we'll take anybody. We don't care what you've done. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what you look like. We don't care how much money you have or don't have or your status or, or what kind of baggage you're carrying with you. We take everybody. The only condition is, your, is your, as long as you'll accept Christ as your Savior, we will take you into this family. With that being said, once you're in, there are some expectations. Once you're in, there are going to be some clear expectations about who you are and how you live your life. Now, this book we're looking at, 1 Peter, this was the, a letter written by the Apostle Peter, and I call it a, a guide for exiles because that's how he begins, talking to the people who are living in exile. And he mentions it several times through this book, as in we are people who are living away from home. We're living in this world, and we really don't belong here. And we're exiles not only of place, we're also exiles of time. We don't even belong in this time. The time that we really belong to is a time yet coming. And so Peter is giving us this, some great advice and some rules about how we can live away from home and still live as people who belong to the kingdom of God, living in the world, yet still living as people in the kingdom of God. And last week, our first bit of advice that Peter gave you was to, first of all, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember that you are in exile. Remember that you really belong to, that you have been made a member of God's family. So today's advice springs right from that first bit of advice that Peter gave us. Okay, you were made a member of God's family. So today he reminds us, you need to act like it. Act like you're members of God's family. Now last week I told you that being part of God's family means that you're royalty. Because we are brothers and sisters to a king. We are sons and daughters of a king, and that makes us royalty. But it actually goes a little bit higher than that. We're sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters to an immortal Savior. So that means we're part of a holy family. And being part of a holy family means, you may have guessed it, you must lead holy lives. Lives of obedience, Lives of fear of the Lord. Lives that Peter calls sincere brotherly love. Now I'm going to start, he starts out reminding us or, or, or pointing out what it is that we have set before us. And I'm looking here, I'm starting here at verse 13. If you want to read along with me. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he starts with this word, therefore. And this word, therefore, is now referring back to everything that he said previously, which is what we talked about last week, that you've been made a part of the family of God. You've been given this salvation. You've been given this wonderful gift that you're in exile in both space and of time. And you are part of this royal, holy family of God. Okay, because of that, therefore, and then he gives you a, um, I guess, this encouragement on top of that. He wants you to remember that you're part of this family of God, and he says, preparing your minds for action. 
And in, in the Greek, it actually says, gird the loins of your mind. And the, and the girding of the loins was when, before athletes. They'd have these loose tunics, and they would have to tie them up so they wouldn't get caught in their athletic activity. So that, that's tying, that's gird, getting ready for action. Gird the loins of your mind. It says, be sober-minded. So he's saying, get ready, prepare yourself. Okay, remember, therefore, remember all what God has done for you, and then prepare yourself for some action. And remember the hope that is in you. He's telling you life is about to become different. You need to get ready because things are going to change. You have been changed. You now have been put in God's family, and there's going to be huge consequences for your life now. And so Peter's telling you, you've got to get ready, and you've got to gird the loins of your mind. You have to be sober-minded. You have to get ready for action, and you have to rely, he says, fully on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to need this. You're going to need this to get through what is going to be coming next for your life. What exactly are you getting ready for? I'm picking this up at verse 14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter says, this is what you got to get ready for. You can't live like you used to. He says, get ready because you cannot live like you used to. You're a part of God's family now. And this is a new family now, so it's going to be a new way of life. This is going to be a new way of living. And, and he says, you can't go living now in your old life, what he calls the passions of your former ignorance. Right? And, and, and the former ignorance he's talking about, he's saying that you didn't know any better. You were ignorant of, of, of who God was, of who Christ was, of what your real destiny was. You were ignorant of that, so maybe there, there, there's some excuse for the way you acted. But you lived in these passions of a former ignorance. You didn't know the way to live. You didn't have direction. You didn't have the road of Christ laid out before you in your life. So the only way you knew to follow were these worldly passions that you had. And that was the old life that you lived these passions of your former ignorance, this, just the desires you had on your heart, and it was a sinful heart. You know, your greed, your anger, your hate, your lust, it was ambition. All these, all these feelings and emotions and desires from our sinful self. That's what he means by the passions of your former ignorance. So that was your former life. That was your old life. You have a new life now. Because you have a new family. And the expectation on your life is pretty steep. It says you must live holy lives. And what he does, he quotes the words, uh, the words that God spoke to Israel that we saw in, 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 from the book of Deuteronomy. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what God tells his people. You shall be holy, because I am holy. And I know this sounds like a steep expectation. I mean, he's expecting me to be holy, me? Now, I know me, right? And, and I could talk a good game sometimes, but I'm not holy. And I'm a lot of things, but holy is not one of them. And I imagine you might feel the same 
Like, hey, you know, I could be a pretty good person sometimes, but holy, that's asking quite a, quite a lot of me. But if you think about it, this expectation makes perfect sense. He asked you to be holy because God is holy. He's expecting you to be like Christ because you are part of this family now. And Christ, he's, he's the older brother. Right? I don't know if you grew up with an older sibling where you were told, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, or well, why can't you be more like your older sister? Now, my brother had it easy because I was his older brother. And the bar was set very low. I mean, sometimes it was like, look, don't be like your brother. Okay, be more like your sister instead. And, and I know sometimes that causes some jealousy, you know, in, in, in our human families when they say, be more like your older brother. But in this case, it's, it's a good example. He set us an example of perfect obedience. And this older brother of ours loves us like no mortal brother can. In fact, loves you so much that he came and he died that you could remain a part of this family. And so God is, yes, saying you need to be like your older brother. He is the example. And I gave him specifically as an example so you can know how to be a part of this family. And your older brother Christ, well, he was pretty holy. And the expectation for you is that you need to be holy too. I'll go to verse 17 here. It explains this holiness. It says, if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. What Peter here is saying is that if you're going to call God Father, then you need to act like He is your Father. You're going to take the name and say the words that God is my Father and I am a child of God. Well, that means you need to act like He is your Father. And that's the key to us living holy lives. He's acting as if God is our Father. And the way Peter says we do that is we act with fear throughout the time of our exile. And your time of exile, as long as you're here on earth, as long as you're alive, that's your time of exile. And we should live with fear throughout the time of exile, throughout our whole lives. And we talk a whole lot about the love of God and loving God, and that truly is the first and most important commandment. But it's also important to fear the Lord. And that's the, an older way they used to talk about our religion, our faith, is, is fearing the Lord. And there is a whole lot that's packed into that phrase, fear the Lord. And I really wish we had a lot of time that we could sit down because we could really get into what it means to fear the Lord. But that's almost a whole other entire sermon on its own. But I will tell you that fearing the Lord is not the same thing as being afraid of God. It's not being afraid like you're afraid of, of someone that is going to cause danger to your life, like you're afraid of someone breaking into your house or, or, or you're afraid of something happening to your children. It's not that kind of fear. There is a little bit of that fear, a little bit about healthy fear of God. But mostly when we talk about fear of the Lord, we're talking about respect and honor. It's a fear, a type of respect, a fear, a type of honor. And out of that fear, that honor and, um, and respect comes our obedience. And that's the fear that Peter is talking about, that we live our lives in their time of exile, throughout our whole lives, living in honor and obedience to God. 
And that's how we acknowledge him as our father. That's how we act as him as our father. So we don't just say it, we also act like it. By giving him our honor, by giving him our respect, and by giving him our obedience. Let me put it to you like this. You can't go say that God is your father, and then you give all your honor and respect and obedience to the world. You can't there with your mouth say, oh yes, God is my father and I'm a child of God, but as far as all my, my heart goes and my mind and my actions, I give all that honor and respect to the world. Because you're saying one thing with your mouth and you're doing another thing with your life. So what Peter's reminding you, if you're going to call God as father, if, as you say, God is your father, then it's God that you need to fear, it's God you need to respect, it's God you need to give your honor to, and it's God that you need to give your obedience to. And just in case we have a tendency to forget why we owe God this honor and obedience and respect, he reminds us, picking up here at verse 18, he says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It was God that he reminds us, and he says it was ransomed you, ransomed all of us, all who called by Christ from our futile ways. And I love that description by Peter. Because what he's describing here is how you lived before you knew Christ. And that's how everybody lives who doesn't know Christ. It's futile. It's living a life that is futile. And the word futile means it's It's useless. It's pointless. It's going nowhere. And that's a perfect description of our life before Christ and a great description of life that any life that is without Christ. It is a futile life. Because eventually, it's not going to go anywhere. Because everything we do in this world and in this flesh outside of Christ, it dies. Our bodies die. Our work dies. Everything we set out to accomplish is one day dies and is forgotten and passed away. So everything we do here in this world, if it's only in the flesh, is futile. Only in our life in Christ does life ultimately have meaning. Because our work continues and our work carries on. And it's from this life of futility, it says that God ransomed us. Now that's another interesting word, ransom. What, what, do, you, what do you normally think of when someone was ransomed? We think of a kidnapping, right? Usually that's what we get in movies, you know. Somebody's kidnapped, then the kidnappers call up the, you know, the husband or the parents and a million dollars if you want to see him again. And, and that's not really the, the way that, that Peter's talking about this because in the kidnapping scenario, someone's been taken illegally and held illegally and held unlawfully and asked for money that they're not owed. But in this, this audience that Peter's writing to back in the New Testament times, ransom usually had a different connotation. Usually the ransom came from prisoners of war. When you were ransomed is when you were fighting against another, uh, another army, and instead of killing you, they actually captured you. And they captured you with the goal of raising money. Because they take you back to their camp and they send word to your family, if you want to see your loved one again, pay us this money and we'll give them back. And so in this instance... You're being taken and held by the enemy. 
But the way they saw it is you were being held lawfully. If you were captured in war, the person that captured you, he now owned you and he held you lawfully. And so he had every right to ask for money to get you back. And that's the way that we lived before Christ. And that's the, 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 the image that Peter is giving us. What God did is he ransomed us. We were held by the enemy. And he held us lawfully because of our sin. We were held by the enemy. Held by, what he means by the enemy, of course, that's Satan. And that's sin. And that's death. And the enemy held us and he held us lawfully. And we belong to the enemy lawfully. And so to get us back, God paid a ransom. He paid a ransom. He got us back, and that is what we call our salvation. But it's not in gold and silver. It took something more precious. Because what God was ransoming back was our souls, and there was no amount of money that could pay for our souls. Remember Jesus, he says that uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? He's saying that all the money in the world isn't worth just one soul. So to ransom not only one of us back, but all of us back, had to be something worth more than gold and silver. And so what he paid to ransom us was the blood of Christ. It's a lamb without blemish. It's a perfect sacrifice. That's what it took. That's what it took to ransom you back, to ransom me back. It took the, the, that was the price of our soul. And Peter's reminding you here what Christ did to make you a part of his family. And he didn't just ransom and buy you. After he did that, he adopted you. So now you can call God Father. Of course, that means now that you're part of the Holy Family. And you owe God everything. And what God asks of you is to live a holy life. And just in case anyone doesn't realize the enormity of this gift, he reminds us here at verse 20, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. You hear that part, for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I hope you, you saw so, how much of that emphasis on what God did for us. He was, Christ was revealed for your sake. And He was raised so that your faith and your hope could be in God. So all these things that Christ did, being born to the world in the flesh, teaching, dying, raising again, it was for your sake. So you could believe. So you could trust in God. And he did this so you could have the power to live a holy life. So where the power comes from, it's, it's our faith. It's your faith that fuels every single aspect of your life. And so in Christ Jesus, he tells us not only is the ransom made possible, but your faith in God is made possible. Because you can trust Him. He's showing you, you can trust Him now because you see what He has done for you. By giving Christ to us as a sacrifice, you see how good our good Father is. 
Ascending Christ has shed His blood for our life. You can see that nobody cares and loves for you as God does. By giving us this holy lamb without blemish. He communicates to you, to me, to each and every one of us that you are precious in His sight. That you are valuable to Him. And He's proven it through Christ. Because there we find the source of our trust. There we find the source of our faith and hope. And through our faith and hope, we find the strength to live the holy lives that you were called to live. Now, I don't want anyone to be uh, deceived about this holy life, to think that we live it just so we can be superior to other people. That's not the reason. The reason why God calls us to a holy life is so we can be more like Him. That's what he says in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Friends, the heart of holy living is love. I mean, love is the essence of God. So if you are going to be a part of his family, it means to honor God, fear him, obey him, but if you're going to be like God, there's nothing more like God than love. It's the very essence of His character. And that's truly what it means to be holy, is that we love one another. He says a sincere brotherly love, but that's a Greek word that means family love. Love them like you love your own family. And as we go through life, we're struggling with our faith, and, we, and, we, and, and it's not always easy to honor and obey God, and always easy to fear and trust Him like we should. But Peter reminds us the struggle's not pointless. It's all leading us to a place where you are as loving as God is. That's what truly makes us holy, is to love one another as God loves us. I want to make one final point for you in case anyone misunderstands about this striving to lead holy lives. The reason why we lead holy lives is not so that we can gain salvation. And I want to make that very clear to everyone. You're not going out trying to lead a holy life in order for you to gain salvation. You're living a holy life because you've already been given salvation. Okay, the gift of life is already yours. You've already been, it's already been given to you. The whole idea of living like holy people is living like we're godly people, like people of salvation. This is how he ends it, starting at verse 23. He says, since you have been born again, pay attention to that, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of, of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You see Peter saying here, since you've been born again, not in order to be born again, but since you've already been born again, it's already happened. That's why you should love one another. That's why you should live in fear. That's why you should live in obedience to God because you already have been born again. And what you've been born again to is a godly inheritance. 
Peter calls imperishable seed. And that means exactly like it sounds. It doesn't die. It's not like the regular seed, that the seed you throw out in the spring and you see it sprout up in the summer and usually by the, by the time August comes, it's already withered and it's gone. That grass is, that, that, that's what most mortal life is. The grass withers and the flower falls. No, but the seed that you have been born again to, the seed that has been planted in your souls is the seed of the Word of God. And this seed endures forever. When Christ redeemed you, He redeemed you from death to life. He redeemed you from perishable seed and filled you with the imperishable Word of God. Former lives of death are no longer yours. A new life, a new life like God's life, is in you now, whose word endures forever. So this is your second rule for living as an exile. You can write this one down. Live holy lives. Remember you're in exile first. Remember who you are and who you belong to, the family of God. And today, remember to live holy lives. Live in imitation of Christ, the one who redeemed you. Because after all, it makes no sense to try to take this life of the flesh and death and try to fit it into a life internal. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Because you've been called to a new way of life. You've been called to a new way of being. That means you can no longer treat your life as a mortal life. Because it's not a mortal life. You must live as eternal children of God. Or as Peter says, the grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.